Hi, I'm Heather Ritchie. I'm the CMO of Ubiquia. I think data is one of the most risky and exciting areas of smart cities. I'm Catherine Speglia, and this is Well Technically, the tech podcast where women do the explaining. Hi, Heather. I'm so happy to have you here. Thanks so much for having me. Yes, it's going to be exciting. And we'll be talking about the progress made around smart cities. And you're going to be telling me some of the things that have impacted that progress. But before we do that, as everyone knows at this point, I have to ask, what's an example of a time in which being a woman has empowered you? I would say the time is now. We had to reschedule this because last week I was at my daughter's graduation. And I got a little emotional taking a look at all of the really bright, talented young women who were coming into the workforce. And I started thinking back. I looked at my great aunt who was utterly brilliant. She was nurse, she ran a nursing department, but the options open to her at that time weren't many. I take a look at my grandma, I take a look at my mom, and I take a look at me who sat around tables where quite often I was the only woman. But right now I feel such momentum around that and such change. And there is a power in momentum. There's a power in change. And I think it's probably one of the best times to be a woman in the workforce. Well, congratulations to your daughter and to you for her graduating. What does she want to do? Does she know yet? Well, right now she's got a a really great job heading into March doing cybersecurity risk assessments. She's a bit of a math geek. So that's just right up her alley. But it's neat watching all the women, like, you know, her friends that she went through with. They're graduating into the big accounting firms, consulting, like some of them in tech. It's just great to see. Perfect. Sounds like more future podcast guests for me. So now if we're getting into the the tech part of this, about why you're here and why we're talking, you've previously discussed the massive increase in spending in the smart city sector since 2019. So maybe you can start by telling me What's behind this increase? As you put it, it's been in pilot purgatory since like the 1970s. So why this sudden increase? Has COVID had anything to do with that? I think COVID's definitely had an impact. I was looking at some of the market stats as I prepared for this. In 2019, I saw a forecast that had this market at 96 billion. By 2025, we're looking at 327 billion. And a lot of that's going to be spent in the US, Western Europe, and and in China. But I think COVID's had a huge role to play in this because I think it's brought attention to the issue of broadband equity. And so we're seeing a lot of governments start to address this. ARPA funds in the U.S. at $350 billion. The Infrastructure and Jobs um, Act, looking at $65 billion just, just for broadband. And as someone who's been in this industry for a long time, that's really exciting to see. And the other thing that I would add to this as well, too, is it's interesting to 
see the change in cities. I went to a conference and the theme seemed to be from city officials, we now have money to take on some of these interesting projects. And I don't think I've ever really heard this before, but a lot of it was due to the stimulus spending. Well, that's great to hear that they have the money and that COVID had some silver linings here about reminding us of the importance of connectivity and all that, but you have to have the right infrastructure and technology in place. It's not just about money, right? So has the introduction of 5G had anything to do with the increase in spending or increase in ability to initiate these projects? I think I'm hopeful on it. But when you really take a look at pure 5G speeds and application, we are still so much in our infancy. But it has the potential to be a real game changer. When you look just at transportation industry, I've seen estimates of a 660 billion um, global market sparked by 5G by 2035. That's not trivial. And we know we have big problems to fix around transportation, in terms of efficiency, traffic jams and, and whatnot. We've seen some really interesting projects, you know, in London, for example, they're thinking that 5G enabled smart traffic solutions will help them achieve 10% reduction in travel time. You know, there's potential in 5G to make some pretty big impacts. Yeah, um, that's very cool and exciting. But what about the new business models? I mean, I, I keep hearing people talk about as a service and it seems like everything is as a service now. <laughs> you can get anything as a service and um, open data sharing. How are these things impacting uh, the smart cities movements and what benefits do they provide for this use case in particular? I think data is one of the most risky and exciting areas of smart cities. So you're asking a good question on data because I think for cities, this is an area where there is so much potential to do good. When you use data in effective, smart ways, you can improve transportation flows, you can improve public safety, you can improve efficiency. And we're working with a bunch of different cities who are doing some very interesting things. But on the flip side of that coin, data can be risky. We've also worked with cities that have struggled a little bit with backlash on things like camera, video storage, um, feeling that certain communities were, were targeted. And some lessons are starting to appear for cities across the globe in terms of ethics and AI. Yeah, that's definitely something that comes up a lot, right, um, with data let alone data, if you're talking about citywide data, beyond what you just mentioned, which was um, a bias here about where they're putting cameras and what they're using those cameras for, but also a general concern about being on camera all the time or how much data is a city getting from me. And then, so when we think about, wow, the sidewalk is connected, the street signs are connected, that's, that's quite scary. Um, but uh, like you said, also very powerful. And it's what's going to make autonomous driving a thing. And so it improves safety. So, yeah, what are how can, what more can you tell me about how 
the privacy of data kind of fits into this, or even like you said, the biasy of data. You know, we've heard AI is um, is biased because it's made by people, and people are biased. So, what more can you tell me about about that? Well, we've been doing some interesting work out of NYU. There's a organization called the Policing Project. And I love their premise. The premise is that you don't deal with your data after the fact. You're looking at it proactively, particularly in the area of of policing. And so they look at communities and say, you have to agree on core sets of values around how do you use data? How do you retain data? How are you going to... um, protect privacy when it comes to data correlations. So for example, we're seeing a lot of, you know, in the UK, folks using open data to help people with their commute times. It's getting used into various different applications, but you know, our, what level and granularity of that data is getting shared with those third-party companies. So policing project recommends for each city to goes through and they get very clear. And it's not just one organization, police, for example, it's community um, activists, it's politicians, it's policing organizations. It's really truly a community who makes those decisions on values and then how does that go into legislation? That's interesting, kind of sounds like collaboration (laughs) (laughs) is the key here, right? Which is, cities are made up a lot of different entities and there's a lot of different interests and just kind of bringing those all together and figuring out how to make this technology work for everyone who lives in these cities. It's very Yeah, and transparency too. You know, we look at camera sites being published. There is a camera on this corner that it's just, it's fully out there for citizens because it should ultimately be driving public good. And I think that when you look at the use of a camera's They really do. We worked with one police department where they use cameras 144 times in the year to help them with investigations. At some point, it was catching suspects. Often what it did is it sped up time in court because it's kind of hard for someone to argue with an image on on a camera. We've seen cases where folks were exonerated because of camera images. But police departments are saving time and money and investigations and prosecutions because of cameras. So they can do a lot of good when used correctly. Now, throughout this conversation, you have mentioned a few cities and a few projects here or there. I know you've talked about some in the UK. Uh, I wanted to, for my last question, ask you if there are any other case studies or stories about interesting or successful smart city projects that you think are, are good examples of the benefits that, that this infrastructure can deliver? So I've had a chance to live around the world and I spent some time in Singapore, some time in China. And what I liked about models applied over there was taking multi-year views on technology and technology strategies. That if they say they're going to go and go after something in a big way and it's a cornerstone to their city's development and competitiveness, they're throwing money in the areas that matter. So it's a lot more in talk. 
So Singapore, for example, they've got a $25 billion fund covering R&D plans for 2025, looking at quantum and 5G applications. China is interesting in terms of the way that it pushes a technology agenda. For good or bad, they're on a hyper um, growth curve in AI, and it's not by accident, and in tech. And the speed at which those kind of changes are happening are utterly amazing. For me, when I lived there, we used to do everything in cash. I would have wads of 101 notes for my daughter when she went on a, on a school trip. Now everything is done on app. And when you take a look at the kind of data that they're collecting, right, what they're doing in AI is just um, astounding. So that's on like, you know, bigger government levels. It's exciting to see the U.S. when you look at infrastructure and Jobs Act starting to make some real serious investments in some key areas. I think it's going to that legislation is going to have an incredible impact. So when you look at it at macro level, but I've also been really excited to see just some of the grassroots levels, like cities like Washington, what it's done in terms of low cost or, you know, free Internet services and devices in COVID and just how quickly the city has acted. You look at Jakarta. Jakarta's been aggressive in terms of Wi-Fi for all. Hello, this has been really great. I, I like that. I think when you hear the term smart cities, you think of this super futuristic, crazy city that looks nothing and functions nothing like the cities we know. But, you know, you're talking about things like Wi-Fi for everyone and things that are, you know, they're not crazy sounding. They sound like things that we should have. And I appreciate you kind of helping redefine that for me. I think it's easy to imagine smart cities as these big futuristic concepts, but you you've made it really concrete and specific about what actually constitutes a smart city. And I think that's one of the most interesting points. When we talk about coming back to that whole notion of pilot purgatory, I think sometimes lack of progress is caused when we make things too big. What we found when we worked with cities is when you've got small pilots with very crystal clear objectives, those projects tend to do really well. So for example, we are working in West Hollywood where they've got a very dangerous stretch of road. You see a lot of fatalities, whether it's through car accidents or pedestrians getting hit, and they're using video analytics to drive safety improvements for the citizens. That sort of project with the clear outcome does well. We've got another one in Hawaii where it's free Wi-Fi for students after school. Very clear outcome. That sort of project does well. We're working with the sheriff's office when it's looking at school shootings and looking at ways to get eyes on the situation early, right? So they can augment their forces and have the right plan of response very clear outcome. Yeah, I think that's a great takeaway for almost any type of progress you're going to make with with tech advancements. Um, Heather, this has been great. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. It's a good conversation. Glad to meet you. You as well. 
Well Technically is an Arden Media production. For advertising inquiries, contact Danny Miller at dmiller at ardenmedia.com.